listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We're in this series, we're calling it Anchored, and today we're looking at being anchored in community, being anchored to one another. And, and in this series, the, kind of the theme verse for this has been, we have a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 6, that we can, in a world that is changing, in a world filled with unknowns, in a world that, that, that just filled with, with uncertainties, even this morning I have certain um, sports updates that I get, and early this morning finding out that a pitcher for a, a team in, in Florida uh, was killed in a boating accident, just got a, a, a text earlier today that a Calgary Stampeder football player was killed at a nightclub last night. The mall shootings in, in, uh, uh, that took place this past week just north of Seattle, five women who are in Macy's in, in, in the department store there had no idea that, that on that day their lives would end. And, and, and in a world that is uncertain, we have an anchor for our future, for our eternity. We have an anchor for today in the midst of turmoil and, and trials and different things that we are facing. And, and we've talked about being anchored to Jesus, being anchored in the word of God. Last Sunday, we looked at, at being anchored in prayer, and then we got a, a practical way to live that out as we gathered together on, on Wednesday night uh, or Wednesday afternoon, joined together with about over a thousand others from, from other Harvest Bible chapels and we live stream that prayer event and, and that link was sent to you. If you weren't there or even if you were and you wanted to just spend some time just through that prayer process, it, it's available to you on that link that, that was mailed out the, this week in your, your e-news. A good reason to be on the e-news so that you can, can uh, get hold of things like that and just spend time just going through that prayer night and, and just part, participating in your home on, on your own with, with a group of others. Today we want to be, look at, at, at being anchored in community, about being connected to one another. And this is a topic, and it's going to take us a while to get there today, but this is a topic that we cannot afford to neglect. We can't afford to neglect this truth from the Word of God. God's word tells us that we are not to neglect meeting together. And it's just not in a gathering like this because we can't really get to know one another really well when we're in a service like this or before or after the service, but to, to press on into authentic community, into authentic relationships with one another. And we have a practical way to live this out by making it a priority this fall to be in a small group and to come on Friday night to hear more about Harvest Small Groups, how they're a little bit more, a little different different than perhaps some of the other small groups you've been a part of. You think, oh, I've been to a lot of Bible studies. No, this is, this is more than that. We want to dig in not only to the Word of God, but into, into applying God's Word into our lives. And so Friday night, encourage you to come and be a part of that. If you're interested in being a small group, you should have had a little sign-up kind of thing that, that came in. Just love to start getting numbers and, and getting a number of things figured out. Please fill that in. You can turn it in at the desk after the service, or you can email or or just let us know. There are certain truths and there are things we cannot afford to neglect. And, but I wonder today, any of you here ever neglect to do something? And you ended up paying a little bit of a price for that? Um, I, I've been neglecting. I have this leak on the roof of my truck 
and I'm a little stunned as to know where exactly it's leaking. I've tried to figure it out, and it only leaks when it rains, you know, and so it's not that big of a deal, but this morning it was a bit of a deal because it's been raining, and, and sometimes it leaks at the back of the vehicle, sometimes at the front of the vehicle. I'm a little confused on that. I've been neglecting that. I got to get on that maybe tomorrow. Uh, you know, too busy today, you know, but isn't that always, I'll, I'll get on it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow, you know. Well, the, the same kind of thing happened a few weeks ago. My in-laws were visiting from Saskatoon where they put in a gigantic garden, not only in their city lot, which is a huge pie-shaped lot, but they put uh, a big garden in out on their old farm property as well. And so it's a, a tremendously huge uh, vegetable garden that they put in, and we get blessed by it. Here's a picture of just some of the produce that they brought. This was in our garage. There was still potatoes and carrots, but we get onions and squash. In that nice little box there were some tomatoes. And, and, and early on when they came, we were helping ourselves to those tomatoes. But, but as they left and, and, and different things, I, uh, for a number of days, I kept walking past this box of tomatoes and think, got to deal with that. Even telling Charlotte, we've got to deal. You know, I didn't notice. I didn't say, you've got to deal with it. I, I said, we've got to deal with that box of tomatoes because you know what? They're going to start going bad. And then all of a sudden, I'm realizing that I have these friendly little flies that are welcoming me, me every time that I go into the garage. And I'm starting to think, I think I know what that is, but I don't want to pay attention to it. And then finally, like the next day, it was towards the end of this week, I took the lid off that box and look what I found. Yeah, look at those wonderful Saskatchewan tomatoes. Some of those are Russian tomatoes. Good, thick, juice, meaty, sweet tomatoes. And they're not so good anymore. Why? Because I neglected to do something with them. And uh, all of us can probably relate to that. You've left something in the fridge too long, or maybe you neglected paying a bill, and next thing you get this warning, termination uh, letter, or notice, or phone call, or maybe you even get something uh, turned off because of that, or you neglected to, you know what, check the engine oil, you know it's a problem, or there's that check engine light, and you think it's not a big deal, and you end up paying a price for it. And, and so we've all probably have done that. We'd all have some interesting stories when it comes to that. But today, the truth is that we're going to be looking at the Word of God. We cannot afford to neglect. We need to pay attention. We just can't gloss over it and say, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's in the Word of God. We've got to take a look at it because this just doesn't affect the quality of our lives the promises that are available to us in Christ through the word of God as we apply this, but it is also so much more to that. It has serious, serious eternal ramifications. It has serious eternal implications for you, for others around you, for our community, for this region, for our nation. And so we're going to read the text that we're wanting to, to land in, but it's going to take us a bit to get there. But I'd like for us to start at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read um, a number of the verses here. It says, take care, brothers. Here's what we can't neglect, okay? Take, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an, uh, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, to Jewish people who, who were believers 
in Jesus. They were, they were a, a young church, a growing church, but they were getting tempted to slow down in their faith. They were considering kind of walking away, drifting away, away from their faith and their commitment to Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was getting a little more difficult. It was starting to cost them more and more. There was persecution that was beginning under Nero, the, the Roman Caesar, who was a very, very evil man. If you study the history books about him, he hated Christians. He wanted to try to wipe them out. And he was even known for, at times, taking Christians and using them as human torches to light his garden parties. He was a sick man. He was not well. And he was out to, to try to destroy Christians, destroy believers. Are we hearing some of that today in our world? Are we hearing some of that in our news? Not only was there outside persecution, but these were also new Christians that were also facing estrangement from family, from friends, from their Jewish family and friends who were, were still following the Old Testament laws. And they were being tempted to, to abandon their faith in Christ and go back to Judaism and, and so with this, they were facing some ostracism and pressure. You know, why did you leave? Why did you leave the law? Why did you stop making these sacrifices and doing all that the law has called us to do? And, and so they were facing this temptation to go back to their old ways, to, to leave the Christian faith, to kind of slow it down, not take it quite so serious, because it was getting them in some trouble from the government, but even from family and friends. And, and even in the workplace, it was causing a difference because they were, were changing up certain patterns of their lives and, and that. And so there was a cost to it. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is calling these Hebrew Christians to remember Jesus, to, to hold fast to him. And, 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 and we see this in chapter 3. We see three strong statements that are made in the passage that we're going to look at. And in order to understand the passage that I just read to you, we need to go up to, chap to verse 1 of chapter 3. And the first thing, the first strong statement, commandment that is given here that we see, is that we are to hold fast to Jesus. He's telling these people who are thinking about drifting and going back in their faith, hold fast to Jesus because Jesus is greater. You have to understand that he's greater. And, and so in verse one, I'm gonna read here the first five verses. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You're saying, what is he talking about there? Well, as you look at it, as you study it, and you see what, what the writer is talking about here, is he's giving them this statement, hold fast to Jesus, he's greater. And here he's telling them he is greater than Moses. This is the theme of the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1 and 2, he's saying, remember Jesus, hold fast to him, he's greater than the angels. 
Later on, we see he's greater than the Old Testament high priests and, and the prophets. He's greater than the Old Testament sacrifice. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament law. And, and he works through this. But here right now, he is saying, hold on to Jesus. He is greater than Moses. And he says here, Moses was great in his accomplishments and his position. Moses was a faithful servant of God. Okay, so Moses was a servant of God. But he says when it comes to Jesus, Jesus was the son of God. And he was faithful to all that was asked of him. Now, today, I mean, for us to hear that and and to think, well, we know Jesus is greater than Moses. Of course we do. I mean, why would they think that? But to these Jewish people, Moses was so vital. He was important. Moses, to these first century people, were, Moses was a big deal. He held a place that was very unique. He was the one God used to write the Old Testament, the, the first five books. He was used by God to do that. And, and, the, and, and the word of God that they would hear proclaimed, it was written Written from Moses as the Holy Spirit directed him. He was the one that God used to write the Old Testament. He was the one who stood face to face with God. Moses was a big deal. Moses received, as I said, the Ten Commandments, but, and so he held a very important place in their history and in their hearts. Moses was so dear to them. And, and even we see in Jesus' day, and in John chapter 9, we see that, that, that uh, for, for Moses, some people considered themselves disciples of Jesus. Jesus had his disciples and his followers. But there were also these Pharisees in John 9, we see, that were, were disciples of Moses. They, they called themselves the disciples of Moses. Yes, Moses was good. Yes, Moses was even great. But he's saying Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than Moses. But because of trials and pressures and because of the way that they had been brought up, there was great family pressure and persecution that was going on. They were thinking of going back to Moses. And he's reminding them of who Jesus is and all that he has accomplished as not just a servant of God, but as the son of God. And so he's saying, why would you go back to the Old Testament law? Why would you do this? Why would you settle for something lesser When you already have something greater, you have Christ, why would you settle for Moses? Why would you go back into the bondage of keeping the law and all of its commandments when Jesus came and fulfilled it all? So you say, okay, so that's what they were dealing with, but this is the same kind of question we need to be asking ourselves. When we find ourselves drifting, when we find ourselves not wanting to hold on to Jesus, but to hold on to other things. Money, possession, our past, experiences, pleasure. These things that take us away from Christ in in an unbiblical way. I mean, some of those things are good. There's nothing wrong with these things that I'm I'm stating, but but we take the wrong view. We put it in the wrong placement in our lives. And when we stop obeying the word because of trials or because it's hard or because we face opposition or just even temptations that, that are, are pulling at us, that are nibbling at us, the different aspects that, 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 that's calling us back into worldly ways and world, worldly thinking, instead of leaning into the word of God, we find ourselves drifting away from the word of God. We find ourselves drifting away from, from fellowship with others and, and, and we start this, this direction in the wrong way. And it's easy to start slipping into old patterns. Don't you find that even true in your own life? 
It's easy to slip into old patterns of thinking, old patterns of, of action. When God says, I've redeemed you, I want you to change. I want you to trust me. And over the years as a pastor, I've had the joy and, and I would also say the burden, and, and, and it's a glorious burden. It's not always easy, but, but it, it, it's a joyous burden, I guess you could say, to walk with people in the sheer magnitude of major, major hurt in their lives. Whether it's at the sudden or the extended passing of a loved one. Or the loss of a job, someone is fired from their job and they lose it. Or, or, or the end of a marriage, or, or when the medical diagnosis comes and it is not good. Or when people are being ridiculed or rejected or betrayed for their faith. And I've had, I've had people at times call me from jail and, and say, I've messed up my life. And, and I'm like, what are you doing in jail? I, I remember getting at 6 a.m. in the morning. A friend, a, a guy in our church, and, and, and he needed help. He was in jail. And as we go through life and we go through trying circumstances and, and these things kind of happen to us and, 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 and things will happen in our lives, it's so easy for us to start looking internally and, and getting angry and saying, why? Why is this happening? This isn't right. This isn't fair. And over the years, I've been able to stand with people, walk with people, and I've seen those who have, have trusted God, and I've seen others who have basically have said no to God and, and have walked away confused, upset. Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have allowed this. He wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And for so many of these people, I remember standing, whether it's out the, the front lawn of our church in Alberta, in front of someone's house, on the front step, in a coffee shop, wherever it might be. And I remember talking with them and through their pain and through their hurt. And, and oftentimes I would take a step back because I wasn't sure if I would get punched or not for saying this. But I would tell them through their heartache and their heartbreak and I would say, listen, let's put a stake down here on the ground and let's trust Jesus. And, and you firmly hold on to Jesus. You hold on to him. You hold on to the truths of his word. You allow others to come around you and encourage and support and, 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 and be real with others so that you have these people to, to help you in this. But you hold on to Jesus. We will come back to this very spot in three months or six months. It, it sometimes varied what we ended up saying. And we will thank the Lord for all that has happened. You hold on to him. We're going to be able to reverse this and be able to look back and say, isn't God good? And I stood with a couple who lost their baby. Devastating for them. Devastating for our young church in Alberta when we were there. And I remember standing in their living room and, I, and, and both of them were, were in that struggling faith mode. Newer believers. And there was this, why did this have to happen? What is God doing? And I took that step back in their living room because, I, again, I didn't want to get punched. And I, 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 play, I shared those truths with them and said, listen, we will be able to rejoice with you in the months ahead and to see God's goodness even through this pain and through this trial, even though it doesn't make sense right now. You grab hold on to Jesus. You grab hold on to his word. And there will be days of thanksgiving for what he is teaching and what he is doing in your life in and through this. It was less than nine months later that they were standing in front of our church at a community thanksgiving service, sharing their story and their journey, giving God thanks 
for all that he had done in their lives through that loss. Did they miss their little son? You better believe it. Missed him every day. Still do. But changed and transformed them from weak, trembling, kind of lack of faith believers to grabbing hold of the word of God, even when it doesn't make sense. Grabbing hold to Jesus. We do that. We will be transformed. We will be changed. His word promises that. And we end up giving the glory. Oh, look at how firm they held to Jesus. No, we give the glory to him. We give the glory to Jesus and tell of his love through the storms and through the trials, his wonderful love. And he is so faithful, no matter what it is that you're facing. Today, whatever it is that you have faced, there's more beauty and more awe and there's deeper waters that he wants to take you into of experiencing his love and his grace. More of that to uncover. Standing with a widow who just lost her husband and helping to declare to her, Jesus is enough. He will be enough. I encourage you to look at 2 Peter 1, 2, and 11. Uh, we're going to have some anchor verses here today. I'm not sure, is that one? That, that isn't one, but I encourage you to write down 2 Peter 1, 2 to 11. There we see in 2 Peter 2, 1 to 11, write that down. You can go to the bank on this. It says, there is grace upon grace. There is grace and peace. There is grace and peace multiplied to those who hold firm to Jesus. You need some grace, some mercy, some peace in your life? It is a guarantee when we hold firm to him. And read that passage and, and to see what the conviction that we can have that to, as we face life circumstances, face the uncertainty. And so he's telling these Hebrews, hold fast to Jesus. He is greater. He's greater than the problem. He is greater than the pleasure that we think we're missing out on. He's greater than our bank accounts and, 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 and what status we think that might give us. He is greater than anything. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Don't drift back. Don't walk away. Hold firm to Jesus. But there's also a serious warning in, in verse 6. It's a serious warning, folks, and, and we have to listen up. We have to pay attention here. Because this is a warning about what happens when we do drift, when we do shrink back, when we do consider lesser gods, when we consider going back to our old ways. Verse 6, in part ways through, it says, and we are his house, underline if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. It says we are God's house, meaning we are God's family, meaning we are God's child, means we are a genuine believer in Christ, if indeed we hold fast to Christ. And then in verse 14, it also reaffirms it. It says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If we are truly God's child, if we are a son, a daughter of God, we better be holding fast to Christ. Not just when we start in the Christian life, but all throughout and during and at the end. It's not just starting it, you know, with praying a prayer and oh, I'll get baptized, you know, check mark, check mark. I'll, I'll, I'll go to a small group, I'll attend church somewhat regularly, check mark, check mark, do these things, and, and phew, I'm good, got the fire insurance. The steadfastness 
of our continued faith proves that we are truly saved in the first place. That we are being obedient to Scripture. It proves that there is a genuine faith. F.F. Bruce, the Bible commentator, going to get you to uh, write down one other little quick line in here. F.F. Bruce, the commentator, uh, about this passage, he says, Nowhere in the New Testament do we find such a repeated insistence that continuance is the test of reality. I encourage you to write that down. Continuance is the test of reality. You see, I, I do not believe that God's word, and, and you can go online, you can go on our statement of faith uh, with Harvest, and, and you can look at, at this and the issues of clarification. I completely agree and support and affirm and proclaim this. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that a person can lose their salvation. When God takes hold of a life, he doesn't let it go. John 10, verses 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice. Here's an anchor verse. Write this down. Go to the bank on this. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Anchor verse for your life. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is a persevering faith and a fruitful life that is the mark of a genuine faith. We don't work for our salvation, but our works and our fruits and our perseverance proves that we really have it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tell us that we can't work for our salvation. It's all of grace. It's by believing in Christ and Christ alone. But the fact that that, that has actually taken place and we actually believe it is that there's a perseverance. There's a, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. Oh, I'm not talking and there's not going to be the times of doubt. There's not going to be the times where, where we're drifting. But it's persevering. A persevering faith and a fruitful life that is the mark of it. You say, but what about the person who started so well? I mean, I mean, and we can all come up with these scenarios and stories, and it might even be the person that led you to the Lord that was so fired up and so on fire for Christ, and now they're off. They're living in the world. You wouldn't even, they wouldn't even identify themselves as a believer. What happened to them? Here's another anchor verse, 1 John 2, 19. It says there, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But when they went out, that it might become plain that they were not, they were not, they all are not of us. And then Matthew 7, 21 and 24, Jesus gives a serious warning about playing the religious game. And he says at the end, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. But I did all these Christian activities. I, I preached. I was a preacher. I served you. I served you faithfully. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It wasn't a genuine faith. What, what, what God's word is saying to us here is that those who really have it, continue in it. Hold fast to him. Yes, we will have those valleys and those doubts and those challenges. And we'll have the prodigals in our life or we will be that prodigal. But, but if we're truly saved, we'll come back. But that's dangerous to just think that you can run it loosely. John 15, another anchor passage in there. The whole chapter is amazing. I just gave you a few verses in there, but read the whole thing. It reminds us that, that a genuine faith shows itself through abiding. That we are abiding in Christ and, and will abide and we will bear fruit. Our lives are marked with faithfulness, with growth, with service, desiring to want to serve God in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church. Philippians 2.12 tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
In other words, Paul is saying, take it serious. 2 Corinthians 13, 15 says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And at the end he says, don't fail the test. You could fail. It's not, oh, I, I, I prayed the prayer. I've heard this many times. Oh, I prayed a prayer. Or they prayed a prayer at, at summer camp years ago. They, I know they were saved. They prayed the prayer at VBS or at a crusade or, you know, it happened five years ago, 15 years ago or two years ago, you know, and, and, and they were trusting Jesus. They were holding Jesus there, so I guess they're good. No, it's about holding fast to Jesus today, trusting him today, following him, pursuing him today. He's greater than Moses. He's greater and better than anything in this world. He's greater than money and fame and possession or anything that we're going after. We go after him. We hold fast to Jesus. Second thing we see here in verses 7 to 11, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that uh, to beware of falling and drifting. We've already talked a little bit about that, but, but here he gives an example of it. And, and, and we can see this example, how it can creep up, how drifting can happen in our own life. And it can happen so unexpectedly. It happens and we don't even start realizing it. And it says in verse 7, Therefore, as, ho- as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's, writing, he, is he's quoting something very familiar to the hearers. He's, he, he's, 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 he's writing to them in this letter. He's proclaiming to them Psalm 95. And he's taking Psalm 95, again, another great anchor verse for, for you to uh, take a look at this week. Encourage you to, to look at these verses and to read them and to study them. But here he is giving an example of the Israelites from the Exodus when they were leaving Egypt and heading towards the Promised Land. I mean, what a story! I mean, movies have been done on this story, right? You know, I mean, how amazing. And I mean, Bible stories that just get kids' eyeballs huge because of all that God did, how, how he led them out of Egypt, how, how he was able to jam the tires. God was able to do this, uh, not Moses, um, was able to jam the tires or the wheels of the chariots. And so, so Israel's army was having a hard time swerving and trying to, to pursue them. Then God, God, God parts the Red Sea, they cross on dry ground, just as the last person is, is stepping out, the water fills in, Pharaoh's army is destroyed. I mean, love it. Great story. Then they're in the desert, and like, we're a little thirsty. They get water from a rock. I mean, you know, it's, sometimes trying to get money out of a cheap person is pretty hard. How about getting money out of a rock? And, and, and they get money out of, or not money, they get this water out of the rock. Then next, you know, we're hungry. You know, we're kind of hungry. How do you feed, you know, a million and a half, two million people? You know, and, and every day, they have continental breakfast when they step out of their tents. Like, how sweet is that? Women, wouldn't you love that? You know, step, breakfast is provided. What is it today? Manna. Then they get a little tired of that. And, and so then basically they have, have birds falling from the sky and they're able to pluck those babies out and able to eat those and, and get their fill of meat. And we just see how God is caring for them. And this journey that should have lasted a few months, the 300 miles for them to, to make it to the promised land became 40 years of wandering. And only two men from that generation made it into the promised land. The rest fell in sandy graves in the wilderness. How did this happen? 
Was it some gross sin that they all of a sudden committed? No, you know, you know where it started? You know, you know what the, the little root part of that was? The little seed in that? Unbelief. It started with a heart of unbelief. Unbelief is dangerous. It led to complaining. It led to quarreling. It led to not trusting God and thinking we've got to help God out. We've got to do our own thing here. We can't do it. And it led to, re- to, to rebellion, to riots. It all started with unbelief. And, and in verse 12, it even says, take care lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelief, a lack of faith, is sin. It's evil, it's called here. And evil is sin. So when we do not believe in God and we do not believe his word in what it says, and so we think we've got to help him out a little bit, or we can't trust it or follow his word because that's unbelief, that's sin. And we're getting into dangerous territory. We're starting to drift. We're starting to fall away. God provided water from a rock. He provided for them manna. And every time they came to a new, even though they saw God's hand provide and protect and do all of these things. When they came to the new circumstance, the new problem, the new issue, God hates us. Why did he, why did he do this? It makes no sense. I mean, don't we get like that? What are you doing, God? I've trusted you, I've followed you, and we've seen his hand, we've seen his goodness in our lives, but in the new thing that we're facing, we don't, Trust him, we don't have the faith. Then they get in Numbers chapter 13, they get to the promised land and they send the 12 12 spies and I mean the land is flowing with milk and honey. But these people, they look like giants. We're gonna get destroyed. We're we're like grasshoppers. You know how you can step on a grasshopper. We're gonna get stepped on like like a giant steps on grasshoppers. God hates us, we can't trust him. And this became a pattern in their lives. God faithfully blesses, provides, and protects. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding of them of this. Unbelief, it led to complaining and quarreling. And their hearts became hard. An entire generation missed out on a blessing. And the rest, of the, and, and the rest that the promised land offered them because they got off track through unbelief led to a negative spirit. Can you believe it? Church people complaining? Having a negative spirit? After all that God has done for them, oh, they were in such a dark, dark place and it, they got there through unbelief. And we can find ourselves in a same dark place in our own lives. When we fail to trust God, when we don't hold fast to Jesus, and through our unbelief, through the new circumstance, through the new trial, through, through whatever it is that we're facing that we're not trusting him and we're, we, we don't see how he can do it and, and we disbelieve his word. That starts the drifting away. And that entire generation missed out. And you might be sitting here, well, I wouldn't have struggled like them if, if, if I would have seen water come from a rock or, I mean, I would have really trusted God and, and had, you know, I wouldn't have been like them. Folks, listen up. If God did nothing more for you and for me in this life with no more blessings, 
if he did no more of these blessings in our lives as individuals or as a church, it wouldn't matter because he's already done the greatest work. He's already done the greatest work in sending his son, sending his sacrifice for us to die on the cross that our sins are paid for, they are atoned if we put our faith and trust in him. That's the best news ever because it means that we won't bear the wrath of God if you have not placed your life, your heart, in faith, in the Son of God, you will bear the wrath of God. And, and if we have placed our hearts, if we have placed our faith and our commitment in Christ, we do not have to fear the wrath of God, only experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God. It's the best news ever. That's the best deliverance story ever. An old creation becomes a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the promise that in Christ we are new creations. That is such good news. There's no greater miracle in this world that, that God would forgive us. And he has done that through his son. Look at verse 7. It says, today, if you hear his voice. I really wrestled with this message this week. And, and, and you know what word I really wrestled with the most in here? And I, I did an extensive Greek study on it. And I don't even like Greek that much. But I did an extensive Greek study on the word today. You know what the word today means in Greek? Today! Today! It means today. Today if you hear his voice, if he's calling you, if he's speaking to you about a certain area in your life that you need to get hold of, in an area where you're not trusting Jesus, when you're, you're trusting yourself, it's an area of pride. You need to... to to trust him in humility. It's an area of sinfulness. It's an area of, of, of unforgiveness. And he's saying, today, if you hear his voice, whatever it is that he's speaking to you about today, listen, don't harden your heart. He says, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when I'm older, today. Let's walk away from sin. Let's get some help. Admit that you've got a struggle and a problem and, and you need help. That's, a, that's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of strength because you know what? We're all messed up. We're all needy. We need one another. We need the forgiveness and the grace of God in our lives daily. Maybe it's needing to forgive that person today. It's trusting him with your finances today. You know what God's word says when it comes to money when it comes to even giving of our money and, and we're saying, well, no, I, I, I can't trust him. Trust him today. Trust him with your, your health concern, the thing that, that, that's driving you crazy at night. And folks, I should turn around and I should just speak it to myself right now too because I need to be, today I need to trust him. Today I need to follow him. Today is the day to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if you've never trusted him. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. You don't. Today is the day to come back to him if you are drifting. Today is to stop dabbling in questionable areas in life, in business, in pornography, whatever it might be that is, is messing you up. Maybe it's trashy novels. Well, you wouldn't call them trashy. Maybe it's movies that aren't glorifying to God or, or, or just questionable activities. Maybe you're, you're, you're sneaking around on social media into areas where you shouldn't be. Today is the day to stop that drifting and come back. Today is the day to say enough is enough. Today I'm gonna to commit 
my life anew and afresh to the Lord Jesus. Today, I'm going to commit to serving. I'm not going to keep saying, yeah, I'll get, get around to it. It's like, today, today, today I'm going to take those first steps in dealing with my past and my addiction, the thing that's robbing me from real life. Today, I'm going to obey the Spirit's voice. Today, I'm going to trust him in the wilderness. Yeah, it's hard right now. It's in the wilderness. But God will allow us to go through the wilderness. We want to go around the wilderness. But he says, I have a plan for you to go through the wilderness. And, and not just, as Hosea, not to call me master, but to call me husband. To a, a deeper, intimate relationship. There's all these dumb quotes that at times um, Christians will say, you know, God helps them who helps themselves. Yeah, give me the scripture and verse for that. You know, or, or, or God will never... God won't give you more than he can handle. What a lie. That's a lie. He will allow more than you can handle. So you reach on to him. If it's you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, then you're Jesus. Then you're your own God and there's trouble. But God helps those who say, help. I come to you hurting, needy, hungry, thirsty. It's today, if we hear his voice, don't ignore it, don't ignore it. I read a piece about this, about signs of a hardening heart. What if your doctor, you go to your doctor and, you, and your doctor came back to you after some tests and said, you know what, you have the hardening of the arteries. I think you would have that throbbing moment in your, in your head and just like, oh my, what does that mean? It's like some things have got to change. You've got to do something. In the same way, what is the sign of a hardening heart? Here are three things that uh, I read this week from James McDonald. He, he said this, three indicators of a hardening heart. When God keeps telling me the same stuff over and over and over again and I refuse to obey, I refuse to deal with it. As our men were challenged at the men's breakfast, men, where are you Friday mornings? Come for time of teaching me in the word together. Are you developing the discipline of disobedience? We can easily develop the discipline of disobedience in our lives. Another indicator of a hard heart, when God is working and I'm critiquing. Do you have a negative critical spirit? Are you just one of those people? Well, you know, I had an elder one time who said, you know what, I, I just want to be the loyal member of the opposition. You know, like just, just to keep you sharp. What a pain. Do you have a critiquing negative spirit? Maybe you're not to others, but within yourself or, or, or to a few others. I, I know you won't necessarily critique or, or, or be critical of the seats in church, but sometimes we can be critical of the seats in church or the music or the preacher or, or the coffee, you know, is too strong, too hot, not quite right. Um, or that person, they're coming to church and we're negative, we're critical. We become just like the Israelites. When God's at work and I'm critiquing, Join God where he's at work. Roll up your sleeves and be part of it. And be thankful when God is at work, rejoicing and praising him. And thirdly, it's easier, sign of a, of a hardening heart is when it's easier to do wrong and harder to do what's right. Man, I used to feel bad when I, when I failed in that area or when I led into temptation, when I skipped out on this or that, and now I just brush it off. It's a sign of a hardening heart that, that things that troubled you at one time no longer trouble you. Now, if it's legalism and that, that, that's something you need to be set free from. 
But if it's things that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do and you're ignoring it, that's, that's a sign of a hardening heart. And there is a price to pay for disobedience. And we are to humble ourselves before God and others. And the rewards of obedience are so much more and so much greater than what disobedience can bring us. Folks, this is serious. This is critical. If your doctor says you're in critical condition, we would take note. Folks, God's word reminds us that if we don't take note of his word and we're drifting and our heart is becoming hard, we're in critical condition because eternity is hanging in the balance in these things. And the hardening of the heart reveals that there's a falling away and, and, and falling away proves quite possibly a false conversion that we've never been saved in the first place. You say, well, I'm just, just backsliding. You know what? Yeah, time will tell. We need to look deeply into our hearts, into those areas of sin, into those gray areas, those, those areas we're becoming callous in. How are we doing? The first verse, um, the first 12 verses actually bring us finally, notice we're supposed to be preaching about being anchored in community, and I haven't preached about that yet. So get ready, this is part two. No, I'm going to bring this to an end right away. Because actually the community part is how we live this out. We need one another to hold on to Jesus, to be reminded that Jesus is greater. He's greater than that pursuit that you have in life right now. Where are you at with the Lord in this? Are you spending time? In the, look at all the time you're putting into the word. How much time are you putting into the things that, he, that, that God says he cares about? That's a family of God, about your family, about your marriage, about, about spending time in the word of God. I'm too busy for that. This is serious. And we need others in our lives, an authentic community. And so the third point here that we look at, finally we're getting to our point, is we need to belong to one another in authentic relationships. Look, take care, brothers. In other words, you've got to do something about it. Brothers and sisters, he's saying, do something about it. Lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what do we do about this? Exhort one another daily as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So how do we take care? How do we take care? How do we keep from having a hardening heart? How do we pay attention? Being anchored in the word as we've been talking about, people of prayer, holding on to Jesus, but also in walking in authentic relationships. God's plan for his children is community, not isolation. We have many people today saying, saying, I love God. I have a relationship with him. I just don't like the church. I just don't like Christians. I, 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 have, I worship in my own way. That would be like me saying um, to Trevor, Trevor, I really like you, and I want to hang with you, but I can't stand your wife. And so, I can't stand your wife, but you and I, can, how is that going to go over? If I'm coming to you and saying, hey, I can't, stand, I can't stand your wife, Trevor, but let's you and me hang out. Are we going to hang out? It'd be very hard to, wouldn't it? Yeah. The church is the bride of Christ. He gave himself for it. Oh, she's very imperfect. Oh, she's got her flaws. Don't we? We all do. But he loves the church. 
He loves the body. He loves a gathering together like this. He loves it when we gather together for prayer. He's gonna love it when we gather together for chili on Friday night. He loves it when we gather for party with the pastor if you've never been there. Harvest Ascent, love these gatherings. Gonna love the small group gatherings when it's not just a social club, it's not just youth group for adults. It's about getting after the word and, and, and about being in relationship with one another. Yeah, it can be kind of like, well, I don't want to share all my stuff. Don't worry, you don't have to on the first week. Down the road, as, as you, you gain the trust and the confidence and, and realize that these people are for you and, and you realize, but I'm so messed up. Yes, yeah, so are they, so am I. Folks, the reality, one truth that I love to be able to, to keep reminding you, it's okay to not be okay. But it's dangerous to stay that way. Completely dangerous to stay not okay. And that's where we exhort one another daily, encourage, rebuke, correct. How, I, how many of us invite that kind of thing into our lives? We don't necessarily like it, but if you're eating with someone and they get something caught in their teeth, usually tell me, hey, you got something in your teeth, don't you? I mean, because you're staring at it the whole time when they're now talking. I mean, I eat and I tend to get things on my face. My children, they're all serving and they're serving today. And uh, they would attest to that. Dad's face gets very dirty. Like, Dad, you're looking like Grandpa Jack because Grandpa Jack gets stuff all over his face. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, and so we appreciate them telling us because we don't, you know, or your flies down. Or, although none of you told me, and I'm a little upset, but I've had to take it to the cross. A few weeks ago, I was wearing a white shirt. And I found out after the service that earlier, before I put that shirt on, um, that, and, which I did not see, I had spilled coffee all over the sides of it and around the armpit area, and I had these big brown stains. And some of you told me after. So I preached this sermon. Well, some of you were probably just staring. How many of you were staring at the brown spot in my white shirt? Yep, yep, okay, thank you. You're in church. You're being honest. That's a good thing. How many of you saw me afterwards and saw the brown spots on top? Dude, man, he sweats. You know, I mean, you, now... Now, we'll tell each other, you know what, you got something on your shirt, you got something in your teeth, your fly's down. But will we tell people in love, hey, you're walking down a dangerous path? And we need to do that. And that happens only, I mean, we can't walk out in the foyer and I, I just start ripping you apart or you start ripping me apart. It's got to be done in love. It's got to be in trust and relationship. That's what happens when we're in community, authentic community with one another. Group life isn't easy. It won't be. There's a hundred other excuses that will compete and will, will, will come up to keep us out of group life with others. And it's crazy how we prioritize everything else in our life. And then if there's room for God, if there's room for a small group, if there's room for, 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 for a study, then we'll make it. No, we rearrange ourselves because this is, this is, this is serious stuff. This is a matter of life, death. Spiritual life and victory are wandering in the wilderness, hoping we find our way. Today can be different. Today can be a day of change. I'd like everyone to bow their heads right now. Ask the band to come up and prepare to lead us in worship. We talked about some pretty heavy things today. You have to know this was one of these sermons that was a terrible wrestle this week in my own life. Because before I preach it to you, I have to preach it to myself. And in our culture, in our world, I can give all the excuses. It's all around me. I'm a man. I struggle in this area and that area. and struggle with pride. I struggle with insecurities. 
And I've got to take that back to the cross and I have to see what, what Christ says about me. I'm his son. He loves me just the way he made me. And he's allowed everything in my life to happen just as it's happened so far. And today, I can grab hold of Jesus in a new way, in a stronger way than ever before. Maybe you don't know him today. You've never truly trusted him. You need to change that today. Trust him as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you've been running, backsliding, you made some kind of a commitment. You've got to change that today. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? See, he's not speaking to you. Then you're not saved. Your heart could be coming harder. He's calling each one of us into, into deeper waters, into greater trust and, 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 and a greater glory upon glory. He's wanting to transform and call us more and more into the image of his son to become more and more holy that we would live out in a growing way the one another's of Scripture, to love others and to forgive and to serve and to submit. Who do you need to forgive today? You've been holding on to bitterness. That's going to rot you in the wilderness. What are you too devoted to in order to be devoted to, to God? Whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit says today, don't harden your hearts like Israel did. Trust him. You say, but the way ahead is impossible. No, yeah, in, in, in your wisdom, in your power, but not with God. I trust as we sing this, this first song here, this would be the prayer of, of our hearts today. And then secondly, after this, we're going to sing a prayer that I trust will be a prayer of our church. I encourage you just to remain seated as we sing this first song. And if God is speaking to you and say, you know, I, I got to do something today. I need to nail it home. And you need to come over here to the front near the cross. And, and, and so Sunday after Sunday from now, you, you, you remember, hey, I nailed something home there today. Make it, make it a place where you're nailing down a stake and say, I'm going to choose to trust. My heart's getting hard and I need it softened. I'm nailing it down today. I need to trust Jesus as my Savior today. I'm nailing it down today. I've been running. I've been backsliding. I'm nailing it down today. And if you'd like to, to do that today as we worship, as we sing, don't worry about what others are saying or thinking. Do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Nail it home today. Put down that stake.